Okay, welcome back. And Jacques has arrived. Um, I briefed Jacques on the break of what we covered so far, or my version of what we covered so far. <laughs> and I, uh, as I mentioned before, you know, Jacques has been working in this field of prison dharma for a long time and has established a particular program and maybe just by way of drawing him into the group, just if you could say a little bit about your own experience and sure. practice, yeah. and then we can move on to what we talked about. Yeah. Well, I apologize for showing up late. It happened to coincide with my uh, annual ID card training in San Quentin. And uh, you either show up for those trainings or you don't have access to the prison. <laughs> so. No choice there. So yeah, it, it's been uh, uh, exciting to hear from Paul how many people are uh, involved in prison work. Uh, back at the time when Paul and I started, which is I think we first met 15 years ago <coughs> in the prison work context. There certainly weren't uh, 30 people in a room doing a chaplaincy Buddhist training. So this is very exciting. A um, little bit about myself and the organization I started, which is called the Insight Prison Project. Um, it's a bit of a school of sorts. It, it teaches uh, around 18 weekly classes to serve about 300 men in San Quentin State Prison. And um, over time, it has uh, really focused on bringing four core programs together. And those four core programs are an emotional literacy aspect, a sort of a group process with its own curriculum, a uh, victim-offender education group, where um, prisoners are uh, studying what brought them to commit their crime. These are mostly severe crimes, murder, kidnap, rape. And then do a, a, a dialogue with um, victims of similar crimes. Not, re- not directly related, but crime-related. And that program... Um, by itself is doing very well. It's uh, managed and directed by Rochelle Edwards, who's on staff with us. And it's in, I believe, six other state prisons in California right now. And in Juvenile Hall and is somewhere in, in prison in Oregon, it's, it's growing. Uh, the third program is the Violence Prevention Program. Um, the idea sort of, you know, with the emotional literacy piece, you learn how to deal with overwhelming emotions, how to tolerate difficult sensations. The uh, <clears throat> victim-offender piece is, in a way, a deeper process, a deeper group process, where you deal with impact and accountability. So by then, the idea is you want to be part of the solution. So there's the violence prevention piece. And in most of our trainings, there's an aspect also where uh, the prisoners get to 
have a chance to study to become a facilitator. And in the violence prevention training, we actually uh, can give them a state-certified certificate because we're certified by probation ourselves, where they can become domestic violence uh, teachers in the community as a job skill. And then the last part is the yoga and meditation. And I say last, you know, these things interweave. They're not necessarily sequential. And uh, it's sort of the forward leg on the chair where um, we, you, know, you try to make it stick right there. Right? It's creating a second nature. It's running it through the body, getting the insight operational into a durable behavior. Um, in terms of the Dharma, it weaves all right through that. In our particular organization, you know, we don't identify straight out as a Buddhist or a Dharma organization. Uh, it's definitely a strong inspiration, but we have Native Americans, uh, Muslims, and Christians on staff as well. Um, then we're also doing some consulting for the State Department on youth gang violence in Central America and starting to train teams of psychologists from there. Um, and then the last piece, which is brand new, as new as we opened, uh, did the kickoff of the program uh, two days ago, is uh, um, to work with... Uh, prisoners that we have trained inside that have been released, a number of them lifers, to become change agents in the community and work with youth on the other side of the pipeline. We spent so much time in prison that we actually learned a lot because it's, you know, it's sort of the receptacle of this larger social breakdown, right? So you learn a lot, actually. And so we were now applying it on the other side of the pipeline and this is very exciting to me. Exciting enough for me to have stepped down as the executive director um, and manage this piece and bring it into being. A couple of the men were here uh, a few weeks ago. Some of you I recognize your face. And uh, we gave a talk together. That was kind of a new experiment to do and went over pretty well. Um, I think I, I got an email if that could be on the audio dharma, and I said, "Fine, do it." Do it. Yeah. 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 So yeah, we had 140 people show up to that event in Oakland, and and it's off to an exciting start. So that's a little bit of the the background. So earlier, Jack, we we were look, we were talking. But how would we articulate our fundamental aspiration? How, how would you answer that? Your My fundamental, fundamental as, aspiration. Yeah. In three words or less. In three words or less. <laughs> no, 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 I'm well, kidding. Well, it's interesting because we actually went in somewhat naive. Uh, about 13 years ago. Thinking, wow, these people have time, you know, meditation, you know, Turn it into a monastery. <laughs> yeah, can you believe it? Um, 
So we quickly learned that that wasn't uh, quite the case. Guys are actually really busy, have lives, and there's lots going on. So uh, somewhat chastened, we said, well, maybe we should just look as to how can we serve? What is needed here? And uh, one thing that emerged was well, there's no violence prevention program. You got a prison with five and a half thousand men. There's no violence prevention program. It's a good idea. <laughs> so we we sort of uh, started that way. For myself, um, I, I find that this work completes me as a human being in no other way that I know how. So uh, I'm not doing it out of if there's any altruism involved, it's towards myself. It's uh, been a remarkable path, and one that I'm very grateful for. And uh, I've learned so much from these men. And and their victims as well. Um, Buddha said, um, make of yourself a light, right? Um didn't say anything about putting everybody else ablaze. <laughs> so at some point, you know, you, you do it because uh, you cannot not do it, right? You do it for the gesture, in other words. Or I do it for the gesture. Uh, because if I did it for the results, it would also be painful at times because people will come back frequently. Or your program gets closed down or closed down for a while. And you go, I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And it's like, no, you're, you're, you're holding up this gesture uh, because you have an understanding you need to express. You're driven to express. Not because uh, you must deliver these programs necessarily. So that's, you know, uh, something I've learned over time. I certainly, as you could hear, didn't go in like that. There's a lot of good stories to tell about how green I was and what I learned uh, in the beginning. So I would answer it like that. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Jacques. That's powerful and inspiring to hear. So what we thought we'd do, we thought we'd end, we thought we'll have lunch at 12.30. I don't know if the day had a particular structure to it other than the one we make up. Before then, I'd like to talk in terms of translating our aspiration into certain kinds of interactions, behaviors. Um, you know, one of the significant ones is, is usually um, offering some form of meditation. Uh, and so we thought we'd use the rest of the morning to talk about that. You know, what kinds of meditation to offer. And maybe the pros and cons of when to do that.
what, what, what indicators uh, would prompt us to use one strategy in contrast to another. Um, would you like to offer one or shall we open it up? Yeah, it depends on, on, on what the level of need is, right? <clears throat> we have certainly both learned a lot about languaging, right? Because you, you, San Quentin State Prison is not like Spirit Rock Meditation Center, right? <laughs> to find another way to express yourself. So that's all. That that's a specific interest I have on on the topic of teaching meditation and. I know there's people in the room that uh, have a good amount of uh, experience teaching as well, so I'd be quite happy to circle it. Maybe useful to say that that you know, for for insight that doesn't come out as a straight Buddhist organization, we pretty much look at it, it being you know mindfulness meditation, as a the mother of all interventions. Thinking uh, as follows, uh, you know, cultivating that skill really is the difference between committing a crime or not, right? You either blindly react or you skillfully respond. And the practice is what makes that happen. I had a, a, a young African-American man uh, protest once. They said, why are we all doing this meditation thing here, man? It, it sounds like a cult thing to me. And I said, oh, yeah. He said, yeah. I said, well, where were you before we had this conversation? He said, man, I was in county jail. I said, oh, all right. And then he said, I was in the courtroom. I said, okay. I said, uh, courtroom, you know, and I said, you remember, there's like a witness stand in the courtroom. And uh, people go standing there and they tell you a story and they often get it wrong and here you are. Hell yeah, they got it wrong, Woody, 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 you know, I said, whoa, 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 hold on. That may be true. They got it wrong. But why did you give up your ability to witness your own experience? Because in our culture, we've made that agreement in the courtroom. There is then a place where other people go do it for you. But it means you gave it up. So why did you do that? He was like, oh, okay. So we had him, you know, by this much, but he, he, was, he, he was getting curious now. So that's, you know, a very practical way to explain to a prisoner the usefulness of learning to build your witness, right? Uh, just like, you know, we, what we say, it's just like you, it's like a muscle, like you buff out on the yard, you get to do the push-ups around learning how to witness. So that makes it really practical and, uh, and sort of gets it out of just the... And, and believe me, I, I heartily support doing it just for its own religious value as well. So, you know, we'll speak to both sides of it. Um, but it, it, it this definitely kind of makes it available to a, a larger group of people. When you're talking about uh, the gentleman's 
court experience mm -hmm. and his giving it up. Are, are you talking about getting on the stand and telling his story? No, I'm really talking about you know that that sort of cultivated skill, where if uh, your buttons are pushed, you know, and you get angry and you want to become violent next, there's a chair next to you that is able to observe that, right? So it's it's that facility of cultivating the observer that then can call you back and say, I know this this is upset that you're feeling and um, you don't need to go there. You don't need to lose yourself in it. Yeah. You know, if, if we took the same notion and we described it in a Dharma talk, we might say, so when, when the mind's at a certain level of activity and unsettledness, the practice of noting is useful. And then as the mind starts to settle, shifting from noting into experiencing. Uh, you know, that, that might be the, the way we would talk about it in, in a Dharma talk. But what Jack's illustrating there is how, how do you take the same concept and relanguage it so that someone who isn't familiar with all that kind of language gets the fundamental idea. You know, the notice of witnessing, experiencing. Witnessing, acknowledging, engaging. You know, a fundamental teaching within Buddhism. You know, how, how do you turn it into a language that makes it directly applicable to the person's life and, and their life experience? In the group that I helped lead in Oregon, um, we went in, and it was it was not um, outright Buddhist, but we had a lot of Buddhist volunteers. It was mostly couched in, couched in restorative justice. But we went in with a lot of lofty ideals and just ended up, and these were these are good intentions, but we ended up focusing on just like active listening skills. I mean, our overall goals were how do we get these people to self-examine a little bit more. And we started with, well, we have to learn how to listen to each other and listen to ourselves. So we did, like, what does it mean to be a listener? How do you do it? And how do you reframe questions? Mm -hmm. And then part of that became, how do I express my feelings in I statements? And we realized they had no feeling vocabulary. So it was a lot of like, here's a huge list of feelings, and every day I want you to pick four of those. Mm -hmm. How are you feeling right now? And it's not just mad or angry or one of those, but there's this huge vocabulary. Um, Sounds like emotional literacy, yeah. doesn't it? <laughs> and I really like that terminology, so thank you very much. So anyway, I don't know where I was going with that other than that. Yeah, that's a type. That was how we ended up building our curriculum was just around... How do we talk about our feelings? To be aware of them, mm -hmm. to be, and then the third step was um, examining our actions, and we we did that by think by looking at their timelines. Like, what have you done? What what led you here? And then encouraging them to talk about their stories. We used kind of story therapy a little bit. Like, mm -hmm. what was your process? How did you get here? What were the actions that led you to that? Anyway. I, how would, how would you offer it as an instruction 
to attend to that in real time. Do you know what I mean? So in one way we could say, meditation is to be present for the feelings that are happening right now. Right. Well, I mean, they show up and we did a check-in every day. How are you feeling right now? Expressing that. And then having them practice partnership. This is what I heard you say. This was my experience as you said that, which are bringing people into the present. Mm -hmm. We did try some meditation, but we weren't um, we weren't in a under the heading of a Buddhist, so we weren't really allowed. And the guys were really put off by Buddhist meditation specifically. Mm. But we did a lot of like journaling, self reflection, those kind of things. Is that what you meant? Maybe I misunderstood. <laughs> I was taking it a step further. So on one hand, you can say, upon reflection, what did you experience? How was it? How would you articulate it? How was the action of reflection? Yes. But then you can also say, here's a practice to do it in real time. By that I mean, as it's happening, how to make contact with it. Mm -hmm. I did hear that a lot. Like halfway, We did a year-long program, and about halfway through, everyone was like, why are we doing this? Why do I have to talk about my feelings? Why do I have to know what I feel? And that was kind of stopped us all dead in our tracks. Like, why do we do this? (laughs) So, how would you like to lead us (laughs) on a guided meditation about getting in touch with our feelings? Me? Why not? <laughs> I think I mean I, it's a little bit like lamb to the slaughter I feel a little bit but, and I could try and do something that would muddle it but I think you would do it much better oh <laughs> Pause. Think. Okay, I, I, I did that work. What did I learn from it? What have I learned from my own practice? How can I translate that into a guidance? You know? Guiding myself in my own sitting, in my own practice. And then we just, we run a commentary on what we do when we're practicing. Well, I think for me, my practice and... So you're going to do it? Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Please. Just do it. Okay. All right. Let's do it. Let's go. Okay. So you learn. So I'd like to welcome everyone to this room on this particular day, in this particular time, in this particular space. 
And I want to invite you back to yourself and all that that means and all the experiences you bring, all the wisdom you bring, all the pain that you bring, all those moments that brought you right here. And part of that is settling in to this physical body that you are. As it sits here, either in a chair or on a cushion, as it is ever-changing with each breath. As your lungs expand, and and your stomach tenses or relaxes, as you sit right here, welcome everything that presents itself in your body and in your heart and in your mind. Welcome it with arms open. gratitude as it makes up the person that you are. and with curiosity. As you, as you ask yourself, what, what is happening for me here? What has come to me here? though you were going to hold hands with it. Whatever it may be.
you might even ask yourself, what does this have to teach me here? Maybe it's enough to just see it. Maybe it's enough to just bow to it. And when you're ready, you can come back to the group and open your eyes. But I invite you to bring this awareness with you. See how it influences you. Thank you very much. Something about tapping into something that our practice fosters and nurtures. It's not about me. Something below me, beyond me. It's not about how much I know. It's something other than that that our practice puts us in touch with. And to let that come forth. And then it comes forth the way it comes forth. I just want to add, not playing small is of great service. Right? Not playing small is, is of great service. You just gave a deep experience to a good group of people. I find that in my group, uh, often <coughs> guys that are new, they come hoping that the meditation is going to be something that takes them away out into some blissful state that's, you know, some escapism, some fantasy. And they're often pretty bummed out when we tell them, no, it's about, it's about coming to the here and now. But I find that um, I use uh, awareness of the body a lot because oh, these... Let's, let's do this. 
Let, let's stay with this offering and explore it. You know, where, where, where and when would this be um, appropriate? And maybe where and when would it not be appropriate? Okay, so so you you you're going to take it into the you mean the meditation that we just had? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that would be a very appropriate um, meditation for a lot of people. I think that maybe. Um, it might be, in my experience, useful to expand more on the the part of being in the body instead of going directly into the feelings. Um, Considering what kind of group? If it's a group with either with a lot of people who don't have experience with any meditation at all, who are not used to, who are not at all bought into the idea that being in the present moment is a good idea. Okay. That this is not a universally shared concept that being here and now is a good idea. Mm-hmm. Just recognizing that. Okay. Not particularly if it's in prison, right? Exactly. It's like, I want to be there and not now. Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah just to um, maybe expand or to add to that, um, it occurs to me that for people who have very um, deeply disturbed emotions, um, experiences that are very distressing, um, that... For them in particular, uh, there may be a tendency or a habit of escaping from the body, of dissociating. Mm-hmm. And so in those mm-hmm. cases, it's very, very helpful to root in the body and, um, and also then move into the experience of the, of the feelings. The so how, how particular can you be? Could you say, well, at this point, I would have said this under these circumstances. I think um, in particular with this meditation, I would have drawn attention to the experience that lies between our butt on the cushion or feet on the Around and our head, trying to keep that awareness. And every time we fall away from that awareness, inviting people to recall that awareness. Um, and stayed with that a little while, maybe exploring um, the particularities. You know, do I have a stomach that clenches? Do I have tension in my back? Um, and then moving to the point of inviting exploration of the different feeling tones and moods and emotions. I totally agree. 
For what kind of people? Uh, in particular, for people who have experienced um, violence, abuse, mm. distress, mm. Mm. Um, in particular. But probably also for people who just are anxious or frightened, mm. maybe because it's a first experience with this kind of practice, but I think especially for those who have had very traumatic histories, the body really, really helps. Mm -hmm. Okay, thank you. I have two observations about what you did, and I think that um, there are two cases in which I would want to do what you did, which was, in fact, uh, a very uh, created an environment of restfulness by the way you spoke mm -hmm. and the tone of your voice, that, that if you had an agitated group, you might want to just do that, and exactly what you say isn't so important mm -hmm. as the ability to bring somebody into that space with you, which I think you did a really great job of. <laughs> and and I think that and I think that came through. I mean, I, I think so. So it, and so I would say that there may be two times that you might do that. One might be when you come into a new group, or when you're coming into a group that you know very well, where you can set the tone for them with that kind of meditation. Whereas uh, sometimes going directly to the body will do, you know. Maybe they can't relate to that write-off, actually. Or, or you might have said in some group where, where you feel like people aren't really with you, you might say, okay, so are you feeling really comfortable with this? Or you feel like you want to jump off the seat? Or there's something that acknowledges that people can feel something. Because a lot of people don't know what you mean when you say, what are you feeling? So... So one way to do that is directly with the body, and the other is to acknowledge some some uh, emotional response that you suspect they might have had. Mm, mm, mm. So, so you, you you sort of articulating a possibility. Yes, a as, kind as, of inquiry. As, 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 as a way to facilitate inquiry. Yes. And access. Yes. Hmm. Good point. I was just going to say I think we might even be thinking about it too much like I mean I just thinking about the Sangha at San Quentin on Sundays and we have a really diverse group in terms of spiritual practice as well as people who are new and what I really loved about what Anna did was it was so simple and I, I I was sitting here, I sort of came in a little bit of an agitated state to that, I can't really explain it, but I felt it was like this immediate, you know, I felt a connection to my body, and I know, you know, I've been sitting for a number of years, but I mean, just even thinking about people that haven't sat before, I don't, I mean, we have people with you know, who are disassociated and have different, you know, psychological issues and um but we are all living in a body, you know, and I, I just really, pre I thought it was great, and I, w I was thinking that um, 
how lovely it would be every week when we get to our Sangha to do something like that since we're all, some of us are coming from the outside. You know, um, most of us are, are on the inside. Some of us might have just had an altercation with a corrections officer or feeling agitated about their celly or whatever it is. There's something really unifying in the room about creating that space of just even if someone is able to let go or relax a tiny bit. I found, I thought it was really useful tool. What did you hear that you find really useful? Um, I think it's more like you were saying, almost like I thought what Anna said was was really great and and uh, just the simplicity of it wasn't you know mm-hmm. ungraspable. I feel mm-hmm. like anybody could grasp it, and mm-hmm. it was also the tone mm-hmm. um, and just a way of um, bringing the room together. You know um, mm-hmm. that we're all sitting. And doing, yes, maybe each of us is having a really different experience in our own right mm-hmm. because we all come with different things, but we're all unified by the fact that we're having our own, this experience is common experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so the words I actually did find useful because they weren't like these, like crazy, like deep, so deep and meaningful that someone who you know, mm-hmm. it, it can't, I mean, just because people are in prison doesn't mean they, they're not like, you know, maybe we don't perceive, they might not be perceived by society as educated, whatever. They know more about the world than most of us, you know. And so I feel like, but I feel like not to get too religious in, and she didn't. I just mm-hmm. felt like it was a really simple yet unifying thing. I really thought it was great. Okay. So, you know, uh, there's there's also a usefulness, you know. It's, it, I I don't think it's important to say you know what's right necessarily. You know, you know. I think that's served, you know, by the voice tone and the energetic experience of it. But I also value the comments about the body uh, because there is a sort of way to bring in the Dharma, you know, the cause and effect law and, and the, the, the karmic aspect of how you react to a situation. For example, in the violence prevention program, we often check, do a check-in, not every week, but frequently, where the guys speak about did they have an experience of imminent danger. I think in the Man Alive work, it's called fatal peril. And it's characterized that moment as um, the moment right between anger and violence, or also the moment in between craving and using. It's a tiny little window, very important to be aware of. Um, And the characteristics in the curriculum of that moment are three. One of them is everything speeds up. Right. Two is everything intensifies. And three is there's usually a moment of regret afterwards. Right. So when the men get the report on, did I have a moment of imminent danger? Which, you know, it's hard to get through a day of being in prison and not have a couple. Right. Uh, 
They do it as follows. They, they describe it. Well, you know, I met with this officer and he's been waiting for me every day and, you know, la, 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 la. And then they describe the bodily signals that cued them in to be aware of, oh, I'm having a moment of imminent danger here. Which makes it very practical, right? So my stomach tightened. I could feel my chest constrict. My breathing became shallow. At some point, my knuckles were itching. At that point, I knew. <laughs> um, and so then, what tools did you use? You know, so there are certain breathing techniques taught in the program. Um, a very simple one is uh, to start with an out-breath because there is an anatomy to how do you get angry and violent. Right? Uh, English words point to this very clearly. You, know, you get upset right? or up tight. You want to blow your top um, versus you want to keep your cool, you want to settle down, you want to relax. Very simple language. Um, so one of the tools is for the man to breathe out so that they discharge this energy that's here, right? Because when it's caught here and you don't have the tools, the, the only way to release that is you know how. Right? So um, for them to then do that out loud gives everybody else a chance to follow that and go, oh, oh yeah, I've been there and I actually had the same thing happen with the same officer. Or, and, and that creates a, a neat sort of didactic around the community of learning because there's so much shame involved with losing your cool, right? We're all supposed to keep it together and we don't. And so then when you don't, it's on you. Um, and they're sitting there for that reason, you know, stigmatized in blue with numbers and all. So to open that up is, 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 is of use. Uh, and then what we teach around it too is that you know, there's, there's some sequence to the madness where really if you study as to how do you come to blow your top, right? For example... Um, you know, Johnny, my neighbor, was playing his radio really loud, and uh, you know, I'm getting really, I got really upset with that. So, okay, so what really happened? Well, the first was a sensation, right? I was cringing. That radio, ah, grating. I couldn't have my conversation. You know, I contracted. Then there was a feeling, meaning I liked it, I didn't like it, or it was neutral, right, in Buddhist parlor. Well, I, di I didn't like it. Then there was a thought, I need to do something about this. And then there's the action. I'm going to jump on Johnny's radio. So it's, it, it's useful to teach that chronology. So guys, I say guys because that's who I work with, so I... Excuse me if I do. Prisoners um, um, can begin to use their ability to identify sensation as a way to track 
their own process. So they know next time they contract um, that a flag can go up and say, okay, you know, time for me to come for my witness, not for my person. Um, But, of course, for you to have that skill, when in a moment of imminent danger, you need to practice. And then, and if you explain it that way, I found there's some more interest in the practice because it makes more sense. It's an it's a it's a tool now. It's, it's a pra- there's a practicality to it. So I'm I'm very much with <clears throat> the sentiment of um, grounding things in sensation because if you take those four steps right, there's the sensation the emotion, the thought, the action. Uh, After one, going from two to four happens like that often. (laughs) So the practice is really to ground it into experiencing the sensation of it, not the story of it, but the sensation, the actual experience of it. And that's that's a, a very useful tool. You know, when you're in prison, when you're on parole, and when you have a human body, period. And and sometimes, in coaching people, it's it's about going backwards. Like, like one of the things we can do is we can deny our own response. Mm-hmm. You know. So the first thing you've got to learn to do is to be willing to acknowledge your own response. You know? and, 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 and that can be a big step. You know? Because of the shame or whatever else may be associated to it. And then as you do that, that sort of sets the stage for, well, well then what was going on? You know? Okay, so that's what you did. That's how you responded. That's how you reacted. Well, what was going on? And then uh, there, there can be a more intimate version of that. You know? And, and, and that, that might be quite a journey, mm-hmm. you know, to, to, to get back to, okay, here was the initial activity that initiated this that set in motion that, that ended up in this. Mm-hmm. No? Yeah, because they're all sitting there 20, 30 years sometimes because they lost two minutes, 30 seconds. Right? <clears throat> I sit with a group of lifers for about eight years now. And when we started, there were 17 of them. Nine of them are out, by the way. That's the good news. Um, there were 17, and we counted how much years served. And we came to 403 years. No. Yeah, between 17 men, small room, sitting knee on knee. I said, wow. So then I said, you know, if you can, tell me uh, how long were you in that moment of imminent danger that caused you to do the crime that you were sent to prison for? So one guy would say 30 seconds, you know. I think the, the max was three minutes. So we came to 43 minutes, I, I remember. So we had 403 years, 
and 43 minutes. And it's like, okay, right? This is not just uh, an interesting theory. You know, this, this is very real. And this is real for us. Don't, don't, you know, next time you get in an argument, remember that. Do you want the mic? There's one here. We have, yes, we do. Yeah, just a moment, though, please. In leading meditation, we kind of shift the tone, uh, and our voice is a part of that. We slow down, we have a different cadence, and we have a different tone, we have a different volume. <coughs> I was thinking that also, there's kind of two parts of um, our meditation leading. You could say it's... it's uh, melody and its lyrics. I have a mild to moderate hearing loss, so for me, I was just in the lyrics. Couldn't pick up many of the words. So I think it's good for us to consider uh, how important the words are to the group. And if it's a group that's really comfortable with meditation, we really don't have to worry about it too much. But if we're wanting to be helpful, um, we need to be aware enough that as we are getting calmer, quiet, more if we keep on going that way, then we're not. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Please. Thank you for. Could you press or check that the green light is on? Oh yeah. Well, okay. if you press it, it'll go it's green. green. Yeah. Okay. Thank you very much for the meditation. Um, I was going to reinforce what Jacques was saying about uh, several things, but one is it depends whether you're doing this with women or men. My experience of dealing with inmates of both genders is that. Um, uh, Talking about feelings with women uh, is uh, kind of superfluous in a, in a, in a sense. Um, the men do need that instruction and training, and yet their first response is often just to roll their eyes. You know, here's another social worker telling me to imagine a, a waterfall when I'm angry. And... You know, I just snap. That's all I know. Um, we got this from, from uh, we have a, a prison dharma meeting every year, and, and we had different people lead meditations. And we got into a discussion on the difference between working with uh, female inmates and male inmates. And this is one of the things that the women said, that the emotions in a women's living unit, are already running rampant. There's drama everywhere. Uh, so us asking them to be aware of or unleash their emotions is, is not helpful. Uh, with the men, their, their primary activity is not to show emotions at all. And even in working with the body, uh, women are much more 
literate about their own bodies. The men, you know, I certainly know there's stereotyping going on, but uh, men often, you will discover, they ha- they're missing whole parts of their body. They can't feel. Um, so we've done, or I do especially, a lot of movement of meditation first before we ever try uh, seated meditation. Uh, because that's a way that, at least for the men, uh, they can get into that because it looks sort of like martial arts and they can have little fantasies about you know, uh, uh, conquering their, the uh, corrections officers or their cellmates or whatever. Um, but I want to just add that movement meditation of various sorts, qigong or tai chi or whatever you know, is really, really helpful. Very good. Anyway, thank you. Well, and, we'll, and we'll come back to that, definitely we'll come back to that after lunch. Um, um, I, I just want to say, just to note my own behavior. So, I made an assessment that I thought Anna could do this, right? And, and, and but because she's in the chaplaincy course and, and I, I've interacted with her and, and I, I know something of her work and, and who she is as a person, you know. So, um, how to be conscious about how we're interacting with someone, you know. And, and sensing where they're at and relating to that skillfully and maybe the most important part being willing to be wrong you know like okay if if you put something out there and the feedback is this is not working (laughs) something in you has got to be able to say this is valuable information (laughs) I made an assessment and the information I'm getting back is, it was incorrect. <laughs> I think this requires a change of strategy, you know. And, and then something about, there's a way in which we are endeavoring to have each of us tap into some nobility. You know, some some uh, some aspect of our own being that has a capacity to be aware, that has a capacity to respond appropriately, you know. And so it's not that we're trying to coerce, dictate, manipulate. We're trying to support, facilitate. It, it, it's more an act of generosity and trust than it is of assertion and manipulation. And, and similarly with the guided meditation, you know, it, it's to tune, 
tune us all in to something that's already there. You know, and we do that by tuning in, just as you did, in how it is there for ourselves. You know? You know. I mean, your sense of the room, your sense of yourself, are probably closely linked in this moment. You know? Thank you for encouraging me to go out on a limb. <laughs> and I hope your assessment wasn't too wrong. But um, I just wanted to say, I, this was really, really helpful so on lots of different levels. But one in particular, what you're saying is right on the money. Like, I, would, I was thinking, I, w- I didn't have prisoners in mind when I was leading. Like, I knew that that was the goal, but I was, I was here with mm-hmm. these people, yeah. you know? Yeah. And they were guiding that guiding (laughs) and how different I have been and felt when I've been in a room full of lifers Mm -hmm. and what a different Mm -hmm. you're feeling the feelings of everyone in the room and how different that might inspire Mm -hmm. so thank you that was really valuable okay so we'll pick this back up after lunch we take an hour okay thank you